Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 1 Kings 18. And the last time we were introduced to the awesome prophet Elijah, uh, in chapter 17, there's a lot of background with Elijah. And in 19, we're going to see more about him. Uh, It's just a great portion of Scripture. Again, he was somebody that was human, had fears, had failures, but he also raised his hand to be used of the Lord. So where we're leaving off is this, uh, this national worship of Baal, this demonic false god. Uh, he's like a storm god and supposedly could call down lightning. Of course, we know he doesn't exist. Uh, and of course, the children of Israel had turned away from God, starting with the king, starting with the leadership. So God, you know, you want to worship Baal, your storm god? Let him bring the rain. And for th- three plus years, there's no rain, there's a drought, and you know, the land is suffering, the people are suffering. One thing I can say about God, I can say a lot of things about him, is he's not an enabler. You know, in society, we've become a culture of enablers. So when we look at punishment, we look at judgment, our culture, sometimes it's even hard as Christians to explain this to the culture. They don't get it because we make excuses for ourselves, we make excuses for other people, and we're constantly doing this. Um, is we give things away with no expectations. Uh, we, we allow maybe sometimes bad behavior, and we shouldn't be doing that. But God doesn't. So he's ready. The people have cooked for a while, so to speak. They've sat in stupid for a while. It's a great expression. And he's ready to forgive and heal the land. Because any further, you know, God's, God doesn't, he, he allows us to be disciplined, but he doesn't crush us. Um, any further and, you know, everybody would start to, who knows how bad things would be. So he's ready to bring the rain, but he's also looking for repentance. And this is really exciting. So starting with verse 1, 1 Kings 18, it says, Now it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, the king. And I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. So God initially tells Elijah, and this is very interesting, what does he tell him? We look at 17 first. He says, separate, right? Then he says, hide. Then three, he says, go to Zarephath, to the widow. Minister to her. He performs miracles. Now he says, four, present yourself. Okay, go out there in the open and represent God. And you know, it's funny. You look at this, for those of us that are doing ministry or serving in any capacity, sometimes you feel like you're in the ministry yo-yo. Because it's not just Elijah. When we're in ministry, and you know the Bible's clear, Old Testament, New Testament, not a whole lot of people are raising their hand to say, Lord, send me. Even believers, they just, they're content, a lot of believers are just content with being saved, not necessarily being used. But when you're in ministry, God will say, go here, go there, talk to that person, do this, do that. And sometimes you feel like you're in the ministry yo-yo. So uh, you're in good company because Elijah was doing all kinds of things and now he's told to present himself. And I find this interesting too is that the drought was so bad and it hit Samaria hard, which was the capital where the royal palace was. You know, God hit the leadership hard, if not harder, because 
he holds leaders to a higher standard. So the king was suffering, and rightly so. Verse 3, Then Ahab called, had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, but he's a, he's a servant in the king's palace. He's really a good guy. He's kind of like undercover here. Uh, for it was so while Jezebel, the queen, massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water, to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself. Obadiah goes another way by himself. So Obadiah is in the king's palace. And he's there to care for and protect God's prophets. And I can just say that God's people are everywhere. You'd be surprised. I mean, they're in Iran. They're in Saudi Arabia. God has his people everywhere. You know, I look at this, how he's Obadiah is protecting the prophets from the wicked queen. And remember Esther in the Persian royal court. She pretty much uh, stopped the massacre of the Jewish people. Uh, she was a devout Jew, and she's in this Persian court. And God uses her to step up to the plate and save the people, uh, which is pretty awesome. You know? And here's an interesting too, uh, thing as well. In ministry, we look at an Elijah's role and an Obadiah's role. You might be an Obadiah. You might be behind the scenes. You might be, God has just put you where maybe only he knows that you're doing some awesome things. Maybe the whole world doesn't, you know, it's not a, a, an Elijah ministry where everybody gets to see it. But both are equally important, and I love that. So you got your Elijahs and you got your Obadiahs. A little rhyming here. Uh, verse 4. <laughs> so, you know, again, we talked about what Jezebel was doing and uh, how these prophets were divided 50 to a cave. And you wonder, how to be a lot of provisions, but quite possibly the same way that God provided for Elijah with the ravens, bringing food, he's by the water. This also could have been another miraculous work that he worked through Obadiah. Um, and verse 5, the, the situation is so desperate that the king sends uh, Obadiah out and they're both looking for something, some sustenance for the mules and the livestock because they're probably getting skinny and some are probably becoming malnutrition and they don't want to have to you know, slay them for disease and stuff. So they, they're trying to find something to feed them with. Verse 7, Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face, that is Obadiah, and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So Obadiah and Elijah run into each other. Obadiah has great respect for him. Uh, he falls on his face. He, he pretty much, you know, it's a, an act of humility and, and, and things to that nature. Um, and this is a pretty cool thing. I think about uh, Christians who are in persecuted areas. Uh, you know, can I mention Iran again, North Korea, and when Christians meet each other, unfortunately in Western Christianity, divisiveness is a luxury that, that Christians can't afford in persecuted areas. You know, in Western Christianity, there's so much bickering and so much this, it's so stupid. But in persecuted nations, when a Christian sees another Christian, they just embrace. They don't say, what's your denomination? They just know that they both worship the Lord and, and they're happy to see each other. So I, I like that. Verse 9, uh, then he said, so Obadiah, now the, the conversation changes. He says, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you 
And when they said, He is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, Go tell your master Elijah is here and shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So he's even admitting that it's God who's moving him all over the place. This is just bizarre, but I'm going I'm to get to why, what this means. So when I go to tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets, fifty to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here and he will kill me. He's getting a little, he's getting a little ahead of himself here. Fifteen. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So this is an interesting exchange, and what it shows is the frailty of people. Could you imagine if the Bible was filled with all these perfect people that never messed up? Then we would be like, well, why am I going to serve the Lord? I don't fit the bill. You know what I'm saying? Look at their resume. But on their resume, every person that God used had some type of failure or some fear, or some you know, momentary lapse. But the cool thing is, Obadiah, at the end, does what he's told. <laughs> but he needs to give Elijah a little piece of his mind. You know, hey, Elijah, you, you, you know, the, God's carrying you all over the place. I'm going to tell the king you're here. When he gets there, he's not going to see you, and he's going to think I'm a traitor, and he's going to kill me. I'm a goner. So he, he does some awesome things, but here's the funny thing, is that he seems to put self-preservation above God's will. And again, it's encouraging to us because even as strong believers, sometimes we have our moments. But like Obadiah, we need to get, get with it, pick ourselves up, and trust God with the outcome. I also look at this as, um, you know, Obadiah becomes, I don't want to say comfortable in the king's court, but he's definitely doing the Lord's will, no doubt. But he, he works into this comfort zone. And now Elijah's asking him to do something that's out of his comfort zone. Okay, And I think as believers, we need to look at that as well. We get into routines ourselves, and sometimes God calls us out of that comfort zone. It's not fun. I don't enjoy it, <laughs> but I love the Lord, and I love to serve Him, so I get over myself <laughs> at some point in time. Verse 17, he says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, check this out, so the king sees Elijah the prophet, who stopped the rain. God, through him, you know, does these amazing things. And Ahab says to Elijah, Is that you, O trouble of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Interesting exchange. Uh, this is classic blame shifting and projection if you follow behaviorism. Uh, Elijah can't, or excuse me, Ahab can't take responsibility. He, he should be in our culture. You know what I'm saying? It's not me, it's you. Uh, but we know that Elijah did it because God was angry and God had every right to be upset with the people. Um, again, we have an entire culture that refuses to take personal responsibility. And I talked a little bit about this Sunday, and I love it when the Sunday message and the Wednesday message kind of lined up. But similar to Elijah, you may be that person who either has an adversarial confrontation or maybe you're dealing with one of your friends and you're, you represent God and you represent the truth and sometimes the truth hurts and you'll be looked at as the problem. It'll be completely turned around on you. Don't be surprised. And if you've been a Christian for a while, especially if you're in ministry, you've definitely experienced it multiple times. Uh, so you stand for the Lord. And I love what Elijah does. He doesn't 
because the king could have had him killed, but he trusts God and he doesn't let him get away with it. He goes, no, 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 Elijah, uh, Ahab, you're the one. You and your father's house, you guys have worshipped the Baals, and this is why God is angry. So he doesn't let him get away with it. He deals with the root and puts it back on him. And I love that because I feel the same way. I, I don't mind taking the blame for my own problems and sins. I certainly don't want the burden of, of somebody else blaming me for their problems. You know what I'm saying? And I have no problem turning it around on them and say, you know, you're the reason you're in this situation, not me. You know, you're only upset with me because I represent God and you feel conviction. So this could have been written yesterday. That's what I love about the scripture. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. Verse 19. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. Carmel. I'm hungry, I'm thinking of caramel, sorry. <laughs> wow, a mountain of caramel. Uh, the f- <laughs> sorry. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who's the female uh, false goddess, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Hmm. So there's this contest and it's amazing, Ahab goes along with it, but I think that he's also very desperate for rain. And he knows that Elijah is the key to this. And here's an interesting too, um, later on we find that actually um, Ahab repents. It's not in this chapter, but it's kind of neat. So Elijah, I don't, he doesn't really say exactly what it's going to be, but Elijah's the only one here, the man of God, who's representing God. And it seems like an unfair fight. He basically says, 850 people, get your 400 prophets of Baal and your 400 prophetesses of the false god goddess Asherah and let's meet at this mountain. Um, actually the the goddess, the, the false prophets and prophetesses were a little smarter of Asherah's crowd because they don't show up by the way but the 450 ones of Baal do uh, so the other ones maybe think that something's afoot and they're actually turned out to be right. But this is, this is interesting when the nation's leaders are in the tank for demonic entities. And I can't help but look at, did you know, <laughs> you know, you see stuff and you, you wonder and you say, nah, this, it's so bizarre that it can't be real. It's so bizarre that you think it has to be false. Do you know that there was supposed to be um, a, a, an altar built to bow? How many people, raise your hand, in London and in New York City? Yeah, oh, I was surprised, but this has to be a Facebook thing, you know what I'm saying? And then I looked it up and I realized, whoa, this is true. But there was such an outcry against it. And they're like, no, 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 it's just an archaeological thing. And well, we'll change the name. You know, our leaders, I'm sorry, Europe, the United States, a lot of them are in the tank for demons. They really are. And it's really sad where we are. It's like we're going back to the Roman Empire. These people are godless. There are a few good ones in 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 our government, we need to pray that they stay strong, but there's not a whole lot left of them. So it's, truth is stranger than fiction. Imagine in New York City, they want to put up a temple to bow. Yeah, I'm speechless. It doesn't happen that often. Verse 21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Sad, huh? Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets were 450 men. Therefore, let 
them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, laid on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull laid on the wood, but put no fire under it. So like a sacrifice to see if God will accept it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the real God. And the God, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So this is, they agree. Um, Elijah challenges the people. And he basically says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? In other words, when are you going to get off the fence? When are you going to stop going back and forth? And I'm going to quote a few scriptures at the end. And it's said that sometimes the people, even God's people, become like sheep. And they'll just either be really quiet or they'll follow the newest trend or the, the newest smiley person ministry on TV who says soothing and smooth things. Um, and sometimes they need to be shaked out of their complacency, and they're compromising. You know, this could be said in the church today. How long will you waver between two opinions? Which God are you going to follow? The God of mammon or the God of the world? Or God? It's all over the Scripture. Make a decision. So here's this contest. They're both going to cut up the sacrifice and put it on these altars, and the prophets of Baal are going to call to their God and and of course, Elijah, the only one representing God, is going to just by himself call on God to consume the sacrifice. And whoever fire comes down and consumes it shows that that's the real God and he's accepted that sacrifice. Okay? And that's what we have here. I have a question for you, brothers and sisters. You know, let's talk. Can we talk? Let's talk openly here. Um, here, Elijah's by himself. He's got a bunch of children of Israel, a bunch of Israelites, chickens. He's calling out, and it says specifically, they don't respond. They know who he is. They know what a, a, a man of God, and they don't want, well, not me, I don't want to raise, Ahab might see me if I, if I amen or hallelujah you. And Elijah is, he's not alone in Israel, but he's alone there on the Mount, on Mount Carmel. I want to ask you, if you're alone and it's just you and God, and you're doing the right thing. Is that enough for you? I think today we live in a culture where there's so much social pressure. Pressure to go with the flow, go with the crowd. And uh, it's sad, because I see Christians bow weak-kneed to the, the peer pressure. It's not just for teenagers. It's for us, too, as, an, as adults. And I tell you, I had to learn that lesson the hard way. If it's just me and God against the world, well, they're outnumbered. Because I got God on my side. I got backup. You know, I got air support. So, you know, we have to ask ourselves that question. You're all going to go out into your worlds, into your professions, and sometimes you're going to be alone. But it's just going to be you and God. Is that enough? Or will we, will we bend? Verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. I mean, they're really getting into this. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud for he is a God. He's either meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Actually, if you look at the Hebrew... It really is a, a, a mock because one of the translations is he's relieving himself. He's going to the bathroom. So he's 
you know, listen, we're, we're not perfect. Uh, he's saying, call on Baal. You know, here's the one who caused all these problems. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And it was so when midday was passed that, the, that they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. This went on all day. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. So they do this. They, they jump, they're jumping around. They're cutting themselves they're, with lances. They're stabbing themselves, uh, mutilating themselves. And check this out. I don't know if you know this, but there's a strange similarity. There's, a, there's different brands of, of Islam. One of them is Shia. Look this up. The Shia Islamic holiday of Muharrim, they do the same thing. They, they hit themselves, they cut themselves, they stab themselves, and they, they're bleeding all over. I've seen videos of this. You know, God would not call us to do that to ourselves. It's just, that's not God. You know, you, people like that need to know the truth. Um, but Elijah gives them an unfair advantage against the, him and, and the real God. Um, and they're calling out to their God and, and nothing's happening. I'm going to tell you something. The prophets of Baal were sincerely religious. They sincerely meant what they were doing, but they were sincerely wrong. Just because there's religion doesn't mean that it's right. As a matter of fact, in, I, I call this pseudo, not real Christianity. There's uh, orders of monks who beat themselves and take whips and whip their backs by themselves and, and they bleed. It's weird. It's not Christianity. So I want to be fair to everybody. And there's different religions that do this. They mutilate themselves. It's not what God wants. <laughs> Verse 30. Because you see that Elijah doesn't do this to himself. He, he's, it's a very quick prayer and God answers. So then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. How sad. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs uh, of seed, which is basically four um, cubic uh, meters. It's a volumetric uh, measurement. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. So he's making it harder for the real God. He's actually, so somebody says, oh, look, it's, there's some little smoke coming up. No, Elijah's saying, soak this sacrifice. He didn't do that to the other guy's thing, but he did it to his. Because if that thing really burns up, you know it's God. He's just bringing all this water up and dousing everything. He said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, which observant Jews would have known was coming, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let me be clear who I'm speaking about. Because... We can, you know, a lot of people call out God. I know God. I have a relationship with God. Who are you talking about? A lot of people call different things God. Some people call themselves God. Okay? Some people worship, you know, animals. And they, and they think that's God. But he says this, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. I've been obedient, Lord. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that it was in the trench. If you've ever watched um, a, like a fire or you've ever been involved in, and I've seen this, I've seen firefighters actually put, um, you know, take out, you know, burning structures and stuff. And when that, higher, that fire is so hot, the water just goes and it quickly turns to steam. It, the fire is so great that it, it lick, literally licks up the water. And this is the fire from heaven. So he's licking up the stones, the dust, the water. Everything's getting smoked. And now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Wow. So Elijah prepares the altar. He douses it with water. Kind of reminds me of Gideon's men. You know, Gideon started with... um, I mean, like 32,000 ends up with 300. And God says, Gideon, if you have an equal number of men fighting the Midianites, you're going to take the credit if you guys win. Some of your guys will take the credit. So I need to whittle your numbers down real small. I need to hamstring myself. And then we're going to go into battle against 135,000 Midianites. And when the 300 got the victory, there's no way they could have said, well, we did it. The odds were just astronomical. So I see, I see a parallel here. And, you know, God when he consumed that sacrifice, he was saying, I accept your repentance. He knew the hearts of the people. They did turn back to him. And he, they repented. He uh, received the sacrifice. He, he forgave them. And then we're going to see the rain's going to come, which is pretty cool. I don't know if a, a movie was ever made of this, but if there was, I'd like to see it because it was probably really, really cool if it was done right. So Elijah, what did he do? He didn't cut himself. He didn't do what the other guys did. He didn't go from morning till the evening. It was a simple prayer. Three elements. Number one, he says, you are God. And I know who I'm talking about. And I know who I'm talking to. Let me specify who I'm speaking to. Let me make that clear versus some nebulous little G-God somewhere. Number two, he goes, I'm your servant. He knew, he knew his place. We need to know our place when it comes to God. I'm your servant, and everything you've asked me to do up to this point, I've been obedient. I've been, I've been faithful to what you asked. Three, he says, hear me, hear me, answer my prayer so that the people will know that you're real and that they turn back to you. And God did this. Now, I've seen some symbolism here, and, and I'd love to say I came up with this, but I didn't. I stole it, but this is cool. Um, so symbolism here, the trench is separation from the world. The wood, that represents the cross. The sacrifice represents Jesus dying for the sin of the people. The water represents the Word of God covering everything Jesus did. And the fire is the judgment that, that was uh, uh, put on Jesus at the cross for sins. Pretty powerful symbolism. I like that. Verse 30 says, The altar of the Lord was broken down in Israel, but Baal worship was everywhere. And I have to say that it's really sad that if you look at our Constitution and our Founding Fathers' documents, God is everywhere. But now it's offensive. You know, uh, between two and three hundred years later, we've decided in our in our intelligence that that we can't have this God thing. So we've you know taken it out of the courts, taken it out of public life. Um, but you know, Elijah goes to this this altar of the Lord, and it's in shambles. Sometimes I look at our country and see that too. It's pretty sad. Verse forty: the people executed the prophets of Baal, and again. 
Some who are new to the faith have trouble with this, but this is justice. Remember, they were causing the people to worship demons. uh, And they were not going to stop. There was no hope for them. They were not going to repent. If you look at Deuteronomy 13.5, Deuteronomy 17.2-5, Deuteronomy 18.20, it says that the false prophet must be, must, he, has, you know, he must be executed. It must happen. Again, in our culture, there's very little justice. You see people committing crimes, committing crimes against children. You know, they get, there's a loophole. They get out. They do it again. It's horrible. They get out again. And we're used to this in the East Coast. There is no justice for the victims. But here, in God's, you know, and, and this is going to happen in the future. The justice is going to come back. It's going to make a comeback. All right? It's going to be in fashion again. Verse 41, but thankfully we're covered under the blood of Christ. Verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Now, it didn't happen yet, by the way. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Just a picture of, man, when, could you imagine how he felt when he just prayed to God and the fire came down and just smokes everything, just obliterates it? You just, what about us when we pray and, or you lay hands on somebody and they, they get better? Just to see the power of God is just... It just does something to a person. So Elijah just, he gets this, this position of get bowing down and putting his head between his knees. Just this picture of prostrateness, uh, of, of humility, of subservience to the Lord. Pretty amazing. And said to his servant, Elijah's servant, go up now, look toward the sea, the Mediterranean. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. It's like, you better get out of here. And you've seen that. If, when something's really dry and all of a sudden there's, a, there's, a fl- there's just all this water, the ground can't absorb it. It's become so hardened. It's not normal. And it, sometimes it can make mudslides. So he's like... Brace yourself, here it comes. God promised he would do it, and it's coming. 45, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He picks up his servant, and he he teleports him because he's like, man, you don't want to be here when the rains start coming down. You ever been out in like a, a huge rainstorm? You know, and, and I just, I gotta be honest with you, when, when it really comes down and I, I hear it and it's pounding on the ground and the waters are rising, I look up and I'm like, that's God. That's pretty awesome. So this is what happens. Elijah seems to try to give the king the benefit of the doubt and hopes he repents as the Israelites did. Um, and Elijah checks the, has his servant check the horizon and there's no rain. Six times. He's going to keep sending them back because he knows he believes in God. And of course we know seven is the number of perfection. Um, so it starts out with the services, I guess maybe from the way he's looking at it. I mean, that's really small. But then this, this cloud grows exponentially. It just starts to become this mammoth with all this water in it. A few things, a few scriptures. First Kings 18.21 
How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Exodus 32, 26, Moses said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. Choose sides. You know, it's like playing for kickball. You know, you either are going to be on one, one team or the other. If you're on God's team, come my way because we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua 24:15. Joshua said, Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will, we will serve the Lord. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, John said, the apostle, he goes, if you love the world, love, the love of the Father is not in you. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. You know, we usually, Calvary Chapel culture is usually it's always light on a Wednesday night but the cool thing is thanks to technology I know we get a lot of hit on the podcast and and you know people pick it up on Monday morning or Thursday morning and uh, I have to tell you this is just one of those messages where I just hope everybody listens to because it's that powerful because this message also needs to go through the church Jesus said to the church of Laodicea you know he said, I wish you were hot for me or cold for me, but you're lukewarm. And because you are, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Pretty strong statement from the Lord in the book of Revelation. You know, God doesn't want us to be fence sitters. It doesn't mean, and please don't get me wrong because you've all seen this, it doesn't mean we become those obnoxious Christians that are on top of people all the time and they're not building bridges. It just means that we... We make a a determination in our heart. This is what I want to do. This is God. How can I cheapen my relationship with God by worshiping and hanging on to things as if they're equal with Him? This is God we're talking about. And God's like, you got to make a decision. You're either with me or you're not with me. You know? And there's plenty of believers who are compromisers. Many believers that you know, maybe somebody's hearing this on a Thursday or Friday. Maybe it's you. And... God wants to know. And so he said it through Elijah, but it's always been his heart because I just read to you a whole bunch of others that are men of God that said the same thing. And I just, I just, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just want to leave it with this. Sitting on the fence, not jumping in with both feet, not, not going fully immersed. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. That's all that needs to be said. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.